0: Today, we, we have a very interesting subject. And the topic is, is there any hope for our world? And we're going to look at how everything started. We're going to look at how life started and where we are going from here. We'll focus on the origin of the universe, the origin of the universe. Actually, our, our main verse, if not our only verse, our verse of focus tonight. Only one verse, but we'll get some additional uh, verses also. Thank you, Brother Nico Johnson for joining us also on on Facebook live, we really appreciate it. God bless you, my brother. You you are a great, great man of God. And thank you for promoting our our shows. So our our main verse will be Genesis chapter one, verse one. And that's where we're going to start. And probably that's where we're going to, to end tonight. Once again, I want to welcome all of you. My name is Abraham Manasseh. If you want to check our previous studies, go to drmanasse.com. You'll be able to see uh, our previous Bible studies that we, we have done in the past. And if you want to connect with us, you can go, you can send us an email on infodmanasse.com. Info at drmanasse.com. People have quite a number of questions that, you know, in short, those questions can be answered by the book of Genesis. And one of the questions that people have is, where did the patriarchs, you know, the forefathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where did they come from? You know, where did humanity originate from? And that's where some people, they end up believing other stuff, like the theory of evolution and other stuff. You know, there are other theories also other than evolution, you know, that are there. But the book of Uh, Genesis, it answers all those questions for us. How did the universe begin? Do you know Christianity is is the only religion that has an answer to where the universe began? All these other theories, they just believe that it has been there. People have been there, things have been there, but they can't tell you the origin of where everything started. You know, the fear of evolution, they will just tell you, oh, there was this Big Bang. They will never tell you where the Big Bang came from, where this energy that exploded came from, where it started, where it originated. They will never tell you because they have no answers to that. But they will tell you, all oh, it evolved. You know, after the Big Bang, then we started to see these materials and they evolved and we had an ape and ape evolved to, you know, to a human being and all those kind of stuff. But the Book of... Genesis—it's very clear on that, and we'll go through that in the next few minutes. Where did the animals and the plant life, you know, come from? Did God create the universe for a purpose? What was the purpose for creating the universe? What was the origin of marriage and family? I mean, if you want to know the purpose of a thing, where else would you go other than going to the manual, other than going to the origin? You know, it's like when you have a, a phone and it starts giving you problems. Or you have a computer, it starts giving you problems. The first suggestion that they will give you is just put it back to the default setting. Once you put it to the default setting, most probably it will solve a lot of your problems with your computer or with your cell phone. And I want to say this to our brothers and sisters, if we are confused about marriage, if you are confused about families, If you're confused about relationships, about relationship between, you know, man and a woman, man and a man, woman and a man, woman, you know, gay marriages, all this kind of, if you're confused about anything, just go back to the default settings. What is the default settings? The default settings is Genesis chapter two. The default settings is going back to the original. And the original will give us all the answers, you know, at some point, people ask Jesus, oh, oh, you know, Moses, Moses, he allowed us. Now, if you, if you don't want your wife, you at any time, you can just you can just divorce her. And Jesus says, no, no, in the beginning, go back to the beginning. It was not like that. That is not the original intent. So he's saying, always go back to the default setting. I want to say this to you, brothers and sisters. Instead of trying, instead of trying to argue with people, Just refer them to the default setting and say, this is what the default setting, this is what God said from the beginning, and I believe that, and I will stand by that and nothing else. Whatever theories you come up with and try to confuse me, whatever sciences you come up with and try to confuse me, I will believe what the Bible says, I will believe the original setting, and I will stay with that, and I'm settled with that. Don't try to change me from there. How did the world get to be so evil? And we'll get some time to talk about that also. Now, all these questions, as I have said, they are answered in the book of Genesis. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says something very interesting. It says, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. If you want to live a righteous life, let's go back to the default setting. Let's go back to the scripture and say, what does the scripture say? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly finished unto all good works. The default setting brothers and sisters is the the book of Genesis chapter one, verse one. That's the origin of everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the default setting for us as Christians. When you talk of the book of Genesis, actually Genesis, it's a name, it's a word that means the beginning. It's a Hebrew word. A Hebrew word is ber- bershet. Bershet, it means in the beginning, or it simply means the origin. That's all that it means. So the name Genesis, it was taken from chapter one, verse one of the book of Genesis, when it says in the beginning. So the author took that in the beginning and he gave it and said, this will be the name of the book, in the beginning. So Genesis simply means in the beginning. That's all that it means. It simply means in the beginning. So it's the first book of the Bible. Its name, like I said, it derives from the opening words, in the beginning. That's where the name comes from. The origin of time. It's all found there. everything started from there. It says in the beginning. The beginning means the beginning. That's where everything started. We never had time before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And this is the key. I think we'll talk about it also next week. This is the key of understanding life. In the beginning, in other words, there was no time before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And this is the key of understanding how god created the universe so in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so we see the origin of time we see the origin of matter we see the origin of space these are the three dimensions that we are living in in this world and let me tell you where god lives those dimensions do not exist where god lives there's no time When you talk of eternity, eternity does not mean a long time. Eternity simply means no time, absence of time. So when we say in the beginning, that's where time started. So time started when the universe started. And since the universe will end, time will also cease to exist. Time will stop to exist. In Revelation 22, when when everything that's happening on earth, you know, has finally reached its end, there's no more time. So where God lives in heaven, there is no time. When we say God is eternal, we are not saying God has been living for a long time. No, we are saying God is not limited by time. And that's one thing that makes God different from human beings. So every time you want to ask a question about God, and you say, when was God born? Then you involve time. Then you're no longer talking about God. Because with God, there's no time involved. So anytime your question is about time, then, you, you know, God is outside time. It simply means you do not understand God. That's why God is not man. God is God. Because with God, time does not, you know, it does not exist where God is. Now, when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the original language, in the original language, heavens and earth, it's one word. Heavens and earth, it's one word, and the the Hebrew word for heavens and earth is haisha mayim. mayim. Haisha it means heavens, it means sky, it means the earth, it means cosmos, it means the universe. So in the beginning, God created haisha When you see a Hebrew word, end up with I am. It's a plural word, and this is very significant. You will understand it as we continue. I am always at the end of the word. It means multiple, it means plural, it means more than one. So, In the beginning, God created Hashemayim. He created the sky, he created the heavens, he created the cosmos. Now, the Hebrew word that is used in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Hebrew word that was used for God is Elohim. Elohim. You remember El? The other time we did a study on this. El simply means God. El simply means God. But then in this word, now you see the I am at the end. So this is Hebrew plural. So right from the beginning, the Bible says Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So that plural noun is very, very important for us to understand. The singular word for God, the singular word is Eloha. Eloha, it means one. Elohim, it means more than one. So in the beginning, Elohim created the Hasha Ma'im. In the beginning, Elohim created the Hasha Ma'im. Elohim it's monotheistic. In other words, it's one God in connotation. However, grammatical, like we see here, we have an I M at the end. It simply means plural. It means more than one. And I'm going somewhere, and you will understand as we continue. Now, Elohim, it's plural in form, but understood in the singular. And that's where we start to see the Trinity being involved in creation here. The reason why we have Elohim instead of Eloha, it means, it means we have more than one, and it involves God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one Godhead. Three persons in one Godhead. Elohim is not a name, but his description. What does it describe God uh, when you say Elohim? The way it describes God, it means infinite. Somebody who does not have the beginning, somebody who does not have the end. He is infinite. In other words, it's only God who can deserve to be characterized as infinite. Anything that you see on earth, it has a beginning and it will end at some point. It will end at some point. Everything starts nice, but at some point it ends. Whether you are poor, it will end at some point. Whether you have money, it will end at some point. Whether you have a good car, it will end at some point. Whether you go to school, it will end at some point. Whether you go through a cha- challenging time, it will end at some point. Whether you are in pain, as I'm talking right now, it will end at some point. Why? Because everything is finite. Only God is infinite. Only God is infinite. So Elohim, it means infinite. It means all powerful. God is the only one who has all the, whatever power you can think of, God is beyond that power. He's more powerful than your pain. He's more powerful than your suffering. He's more powerful than we think. He's more powerful than the universe. He's more powerful than the devil himself. Actually, when we talk about the, you know, life, it's not, a it's not the fight between God and good and evil. It's not the fight between God and the devil. No. God is much, much bigger than the devil. The devil is a creature. He has been created by God. So there's no way the devil can fight against God. That's why Paul says, if, I mean, if God is for us, if God is on our side, who can fight against us? Who can be against us? Because God is all powerful. He's Elohim. He's all powerful. He's a creator. Elohim means the creator, somebody who creates, somebody who is a sustainer, somebody who is a keeper. He's the who sustains the universe. He's the one who keeps the sun hanging for millions and millions of years. He's the only who keeps the moon hanging. He's the one who keeps our earth hanging. He's the one who keeps the stars hanging. He's a sustainer of life. My brother, my sister, if God can sustain the universe, he can sustain you also. Through your situation, through your pain, God can sustain you. He is supreme. Elohim means he is supreme. He is above all. Here we see the trinity of God. One God in three persons. One God in three persons. At some point, I think it's in the book of John, probably chapter 14 or chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm not going to live here alone. I'm not going to live here alone. I'm living with a comforter. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And this comforter, although he's different from me, but the comforter, he will do exactly what I was doing. So many times Jesus kept on saying, I and the Father are one. I and the Father, we are one. And Jesus kept on saying, whatever I do, I do what the Father wants me to do. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's one God, but in three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the the Father, but they are all one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I know sometimes it might be confusing because we are reasoning it with our own human mind. And unfortunately, it may confuse us more. But what we have to understand is, there are no three gods, it's one God. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's one God at the base. One God, we don't have three gods. It's one God and we have God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So it's very, very important to understand this from the beginning. So, the book of Genesis, like I said, Genesis means the origin, it means the beginning. So, it, uh, it, it narrates the origin and the history of the world. From chapter 1 to chapter 11, it, it talks about the whole world. It talks about the whole world. You know, it talks about the creation of the universe and humanity. When you look at, you know, the first three chapters, they talk about the creation. It talks about the fall of man, how, how man became sinful. And the book of Romans talks of, you know, if, because of one man's sin, all of us, we have sinned. All this, you know, the offsprings of that man, we became sinful. As you continue in chapter six, in the book of Genesis, that's where you find the flood of Noah and God wanted to start afresh. And as you continue in chapter 11, that's where we see the confusion of the languages. So there is the beginning. That's the origin of languages through what you call the Tower of Babel. Bible. And that's a principle that I want us to learn here in the next two minutes or so. In the book of Genesis chapter 6, here we see some guys, I mean chapter 11, with some guys who came together and say, let's build a tower. And this tower will just continue to go up. We'll make some, some, um, some breaks. And with these bricks, we're going to build a very long town. It will go up and up and up. It will reach somewhere in the sky or somewhere, you know, in heavens. And here we see a principle. And God intervened in chapter eleven, verse six, Genesis chapter eleven, verse six. It shows the origin of languages, but then also it shows what we can do as human beings. Look, He said, the people are united. Here He says. When people are one, when people are united, when husband and wife are united, when the church is united, when the ministry is united, when the company is united, when the organization is united. There is power in unity. There is power in being one. He says they are united, number two. And all of them, they speak the same language. Can we all speak the same language in our family? Can you speak the same language in our church? Can you speak the same language in our organization? Can you speak the same language in our school? If you're a school principal, you speak the same language with the teachers. You speak the same language with the, with the students. You speak the same language with the parents. You speak the same language with the community. You speak the same language with the H O D. You speak the same language with the vice principal, And the language is, this year I want to get a 90%. Once you all speak the same language, you all focus on one thing. And the Bible says, if people are united and they speak the same language, after this, he says, the result is, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. There is power in unity, my brother, my sister. When you work with other people, you will succeed. If you are united as a family, you will succeed. But if you are divided as brothers and sisters, as siblings, if you are divided, you, don't, you, know, you are not organized, you are not united, there is nothing that you will achieve. God blesses unity. God blesses unity. Make effort to be united with other Christians. The Bible says once you are united, there is nothing that you can plan to do and not achieve it. But verse 7 says, come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Oh, when people start speaking different languages, <laughs> they are not going to achieve anything. Because everybody speaks their own things. Everybody speaks what they think. And Jesus kept on saying, whatever I say to you, it's exactly what the Father has sent me to, to say. So Jesus said, I and the Father, we are one. We speak the same language. God blesses unity. There's no blessing in confusion. There's no blessing in fighting. There's no blessing in oppositions. positions. Let's work together if we want our church to succeed. And he says they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. Oh, that's where all the languages started, all over the world. Then gospel they started to go all over the world. They didn't stay in the Middle East. They didn't stay in Egypt. They didn't stay in Europe. They didn't stay in South Africa. They went all over the world. They went all over the world and they stopped building the city, whatever you do, my brother, once you are divided, it will stop. It will stop. Learn to work with other people, learn to to, to work with other ministries, learn to work with other churches, learn to work with other pastors. If you do not do that, it will stop. It will stop. And that is why the city was called Babel. Babel simply means confusion. Bible simply means confusion because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, they cover a period of about 2,000 years. So, God started from chapter 11 on He was not focusing on the whole world. Now, you know, after people have gone all over the world. Now the next chapter, chapter 12, that's when he started to focus on the building of the nation of Israel. And that's where we start to meet Abraham. And from that time onwards, from chapter 12 onwards, God no longer focused on the whole world. That's what the Bible is about, the whole world. From chapter 12 onwards, we started to focus on the the building of a new nation. God started focusing on the covenant that he wanted to make with his people. And he started to focus on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob the 12 tribes or the 12 children of Jacob, who we call the children of Israel today. So Genesis helped the people to understand their ancestry, to understand where they came from, to understand their family history. So it was written for for the Hebrews to understand where they originated, to understand institutions like family, to understand languages, where these different languages came from. Understand the different culture, the basic human experiences, like where does sin come from, where does death come from, and all that is written in the book of Genesis. So, Genesis from chapter 12 to chapter 50, it talks about how Israel came into existence. And the majority of, that, uh, of those verses, of those chapters, involves God dealing with one man, Abraham and his descendants. Like I said, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel. So the book was written to explain to the descendants why they were going back to the promised land. And you understand why I say back to the promised land, because that's where it all started. Genesis is the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our faith. We have to understand the book of Genesis because that's where everything started. That's where everything originated from. It is also Based on inspiration. We have seen that what, what Paul said to Timothy. He says, All scripture, by the way, in the New Testament, every time you see the word scripture, it does not refer to the New Testament. Because when, when the writers, the authors of the New Testament, when they wrote the New Testament, when they wrote the letters, like Paul, when he wrote the letters, when the, uh, the Gospels were written, at that point we did not have what you call the New Testament. At that point, all that we had was the Old Testament, was the Torah, was the book of the law, was the prophets. That's all that we had. So anything that's written in the New Testament, whatever you read, every time you see the word scripture, it's not referring to the New Testament. At that point, it was referring to the Old Testament. So when Paul says all scripture is inspired, the book of Genesis is also inspired. It's from God. When, when you go to the book of, I think it's Joshua. When you say, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You will meditate on it day and night. What he was saying is, the book of the law, he was referring to the Torah. That's what they had at that point. The book of the law, that's the book of the law that was written by Moses. The first five books of the Bible. It was written by, by Moses. And that included you know, books like the Genesis, Exodus, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those books, they are referred to as the book of the law. So that's what Joshua was referring to. Uh, I think it's Joshua chapter one. Uh, if, I think it's verse eight or so. So let's look at the geographical setting of uh, the book of Genesis. Number one, Mesopotamia. That's where chapter one to chapter 11, that's where it happened. Meso, it simply means between or in the middle of Potamos, it means the river. So Mesopotamia, it means between two rivers, which are those rivers, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. And the Euphrates River, if you remember, uh, you know, it's there in the book of Genesis. It's, the, it's one of the rivers that was also flat, flowing into the garden of Eden. That's where creation started. And that river was still there, the, the, the river of Euphrates uh, today. Where is it? It's in the you know, in the area of Iraq, Kuwait, Turkey, Syria, and that's what you call it Babylonia. Babylonia, that area, that's where Abraham came from. So, and, and that's where you know when you talk of the origin of everything, that's where it was taking place from. But then from there, God wanted him to move to the new land, to the new place called the Palestine. And from chapter twelve to, to chapter thirty-six, that's where we start. We see in chapter twelve, God speaks to Abraham. To move and he promised him many many children and he said look at the sky all the stars that you see that's how many your children will be and you see that from chapter 12 to chapter 36. so everything that happened at that point it happened in the promised land because abraham abraham moved from that original place where he stayed it it's called ur you are so he moved from there all the way to the promised land and we'll quickly go through that map in the next minute or so and from chapter 37 to chapter 50, we see Jacob. Remember Jacob, the son of Isaac? He had 12 sons. And from there, one of his sons, Joseph, was sold by his cousins, the Ishmaelites. By the way, the Ishmaelites, they were the descendants of Ishmael. You remember, Isaac had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. So the Ishmaelites, they were the descendants of Ishmael. So. Joseph was sold to his cousins, and his cousins, they took him to Egypt. That's where they sold him. And he stayed in Egypt. You all know the story of Joseph in Egypt. I'm not going to uh, spend time on it because we don't have time for that. Maybe in future, we can go back to Egypt. But then he stayed there, and later his family followed him to Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, that's where the nation of Israel started. You know, They stayed there for the next 400 years, and they multiplied. And by the time they left, there were more than a million people when they left Egypt. You know, when Moses led them out of Egypt. Let's quickly go through this and see. This Mesopotamia, that's where, that's what you're talking about. Right here at the bottom, that's where we have Ur or air er. That's where Abraham was born. So God wanted him to move, and he moved, you know, as you follow this red line, that's where he moved. He moved through the Mesopotamia. He moved all the way to Haran. And from Iran, he moved down to the promised land. This is Israel, this area here, that's a Palestine area. So he passed through Damascus all the way to Bethel. And here, somewhere here, we have Jerusalem. Jerusalem comes from what you call uh, Salem, Salem. And it was before Jerusalem was built. So that's why he won't see it in the map during Abraham's time. But from there, he moved all the way to Egypt, to Africa. And when he was in Egypt, when he was in Africa, that's why he lied and he said, oh, Sarah, it's my, it's my sister, it's not my wife. In actual fact, one day we'll do a study on that. You'll realize that he was not lying. He was not lying. It, it's true, it was uh, Sarah was his sister, but it's a lesson for another day. We'll talk about that uh, in future. But that's what that's a journey that Abraham took. So here we see the three places that he stayed. He stayed in Babylonia, then he moved to Haran, and from there he came down to Palestine and to Egypt. And up here, that's where we have Lebanon, and up there, we have Syria and other, and other places. OK, let's go back to the book of Genesis. We said the book of Genesis is all about the origin. It's all about the origin of the universe. I'm going to go through this quickly, but I'll stop somewhere, maybe for a minute or two, and try to explain some of the, some of the origins, some of the things uh, that we'll see. We see the origin of the solar system that we have today. We see the origin of the atmosphere and the hydrosphere, we see the origin of nature and the world that we are in today. We see the origin of life, rain. You know, By the way, right from uh, the book of Genesis chapter 1 all the way to, chap- to chapter 6, chapter 6, that's where we see uh, Noah. That's where we see Noah. That's where Noah is introduced to us. And when Noah is introduced to us, from chapter 1 to chapter 6, in other words, all this time, the world or the universe had never seen rain. It had never rained before. So when Noah came out and he tells the nation, and he says, God says he wants to bring rain. And they said, what is the rain? And he said, well, it's a lot of water that will come from the sky. They said, what? You must be mad. I mean, We have water from the sky. What is that? Because it, it has never rained to them. That's why it's so, it's so difficult for them to believe, to believe Noah. But all that, not the first rain, we see it uh, in Genesis chapter 6. And we see the origin of agriculture and music, arts and craft. And we see the origin of marriage and the family. Like I said, if you want to see or to understand marriage and other relationships, let's just go back to the origin and believe on that and nothing else. And that will help us a lot. We see the origin of evil. You know, the origin of evil. That's why we see men sinned in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. That's where men sinned. And after men has sinned, and we see a prophecy that was coming from, I mean, about our Savior. The prophecy about our Savior. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. I like the next part that says, He will crush your head. Brothers and sisters, this was talking about Jesus Christ crushing the head of the enemy, crushing the head of the devil. Where did it happen? It happened in the Gospels. It happened after Jesus was born. So the book of Genesis, it talks about our salvation right from the beginning, that God will send a Savior, and this is what the Savior will do. And God had to make a plan for the Savior to come. And for him to make a plan, he had to prepare a nation that Jesus had to come through. And this nation was the nation of Israel. That's why Jesus was a Jew. It was not by mistake that Jesus was a Jew. It was preplanned, it was predestined, it was predetermined that Jesus will come. And for him to come, he had to come through the Jews. So from Genesis chapter 12, when God appointed Abraham, he knew he was preparing for the coming of Jesus. So there was no way Jesus will have come through a different nation than the Jewish nation. So here, the Bible says, he will crush your head. So from the book of Genesis, then we start to understand our salvation. My brother, my sister, there's no way you can have the New Testament without the Old Testament. We always say the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Everything that you see in the New Testament, it has been said, it's already there in the Old Testament. We talk of salvation. There's no way you can understand salvation. Why do we get saved? It was not sin. What is the origin of sin? Go back to Genesis chapter three. Then you understand the origin of sin. So there's no way you can understand you can understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. They all go together. You cannot throw the Old Testament away and say we don't believe in the Old Testament. No, no. There is no way you will understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Without the Old Testament. It's very, very important for us to understand the book of Genesis, the book of beginning. Everything originates from that book. Genesis is written to chronicle the main events in the history of the Israelite people. Now from there, from chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12 onwards, the whole Old Testament focuses on the history of the Israelite people, of the Jews, of the Hebrews. And that's what we see from that time onward. Let's look at the beginning, or what you call the creation. The beginning of creation. Genesis begins with a biblical account of creation. That is the biblical account. Go back to the origin. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, Created the heavens and the earth. The first chapter describes the six, the first six days of creation. We talked about day one, day two, up to day six. Then day seven—that's when God rested. So, those who do not believe in the biblical account of creation, like people who believe in evolution, always they will attack Genesis. Why do they attack Genesis? Because Genesis is the is the one that gives us the understanding of where we come from. In actual fact, the book of Genesis, it tells us about where we come from, but also the book of Genesis is the, is the basics of our Bible. If you take out the book of Genesis from the Bible, you have no Bible at all. Everything that's in the Bible, it started from the book of Genesis. Everything. Everything. Because in the New Testament, the basis or the, you know, the foundation of the New Testament is the gospel. Everything that follows those letters that Paul wrote, it's all based on the life of Jesus. Whether you you go to the book of Jude or you go to the book of, you know, uh, James or Hebrews, you know, everything that's written in the book of, in the New Testament, it's all based on the Gospels. But then when you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis is the origin of everything. The whole Bible, it hinges around Genesis. Without Genesis, you have no Bible. You have no Bible. So there's no way you can throw away the book of Genesis. If you want to understand the Bible very well, go back to the book of Genesis. Then you'll understand the Bible much, much better. People who believe in evolution, they'll tell you, no, this is what science says. And science, by the way, is based on two things, observation and experimentation. Observation and exper- experimentation. Then after we have made some observation. Then we can, can, can make some conclusion. That's why for now, there's no vaccine that can conclude, that can make a conclusion as to how long does the vaccine remain effect, effective in your, in your body. Because so far, there's not enough observation. They have to wait and see for how long would it stay? For how long will it be able to stay you know, effective in your body? Because science is based on what they observe. Or maybe they can create an experiment that can, that can create or mimic the situation. Then from there we observe that experiment, then we make conclusion. By the way, neither of these two can be applied to the origin of the universe. You can't observe the origin of the universe. You can't recreate creation. So there's no way science can fully understand the creation. So we can't use science you know, to, to define or to oppose the the, the the what the bible says about creation. We have to believe what God says. We have to believe what God says. Creation was an event that no man witnessed and cannot be repeated. You can't repeat creation. So God is the only one who was there, God is the only one who was present when the universe was formed. And there are so many scriptures that keep on reminding us that God is a creator, you know, everything in the universe had to come from somewhere. Everything has to be created. If you come across a building somewhere, you know, in the middle of nowhere or in the mountain, that building has been created by somebody, has been built by somebody. You can't just have stars. You can't just have, you know, the earth or the moon or the sun without anybody creating them. That's why Hebrews chapter three, verse four, it says, for every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things of creation is God. The physical world tell us about God's existence. Let's look at Psalm 19, verse one. The Bible says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. When we talk of the heavens here, we're talking about the sky. We're talking about, you know, all this, uh, the moon. We're talking about the astrology, everything that we see up there. So the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And the, you know at their expanse is declaring the work. Of his hands. Everything that you see is the work of Elohim, is the work of our God, is the work of our Father, is the work of God. It is important. It is important that we believe this account of creation. Because if you do not believe, what else will you believe? How can we believe anything else in the Bible? If you cannot believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, there's no way you can believe anything in the Bible. You are just wasting your time. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that should be the foundation of our faith. If you can be able to believe and understand that, then the rest of the Bible becomes easy to believe. But if you cannot believe Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, there is no way you can believe the rest of the Bible. So Genesis is the origin. Let's look at the origin of man. Genesis tells us what it means to be human. It even gives us the purpose of life, purpose of human life. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, God created man in his own image. That is very, very important. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So in the beginning, God created human beings. You and me, we are created by God. And he created male and female. Anything beyond that, it is not from God. Anybody who try to convince you otherwise that is not biblical. Anybody who try to convince you about other things other than male and female, there are only two divisions. It's either you're a male or you're a female, full stop and nothing else. That's what I believe, and that's what the Bible says. Now, Genesis said, I mean, Jesus said also, other than Genesis, in Mark chapter 10, verses Jesus says, For the beginning of creation, God made them males and female. Jesus kept on emphasizing the same thing also. It's either you're a man or a woman. That's it. There's nothing more. If you believe anything else, well, that is not from the Bible. It is not from the same Bible that I read. Whatever people try to convince you, it is not from God. And if it's not from God, it's from the devil. If it's not from God, it's from the demons. Genesis chapter one thirty-one keeps on emphasizing. Man was created on the sixth day. Man is not a product of millions of years of evolution. Man is not a product of, exi- of accident. God deliberately created man, brothers and sisters. You are created in the image of God. Adam was called by Jesus. He called him. I mean, he was called in the Book of Luke chapter 3:38, the son of God. The Bible speaks of the first son of God and the second son of God. the, you know, the first man and the last, man, the first man. That's Adam. He's from God. Created by God. And we are the children of God. Once you accept Christ, you become a child of God. You are not a descendant of an ape. You are from God. If you don't believe that you are, you are an ape, it's okay. Go ahead and believe that. But I don't accept it, and I don't believe that. I'm not an ape. I'm not a descendant of an ape. I'm a descendant of God. I'm from God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Man was made in the image of God right from the beginning. Not in the physical sense, but also in the you know, in the spiritual sense. Because the Bible says God is spirit. Remember John chapter 4, verse 24? When you talk of worship, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is spirit. So here we see the harmony of, of, of number three. Remember when we did, when we were working with numbers. When working with numbers, the other time we said number three, it represents harmony or completeness. There we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see that psychotomy of man. Man is spirit. You are spirit. I am spirit. This spirit, it lives in the body. The spirit. You, you live in the body and you have what you call a soul. You have a soul. You have a soul. You have a mind. You have a psyche. So God connects with man through the spirit. You don't connect with God through your body. You don't connect with God through your mind, your reasoning. You don't use reasoning to connect with God. We connect with God through the spirit. Through the spirit. In actual fact, James put it very clear. James chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without work is dead. So we are alive in our body if we have the spirit. spirit, Once the spirit moves out of our body, then we are dead. When you say somebody is dead, it's when the spirit has moved out of their body. When we speak of the trichotomy here, we have number three, three witnesses. The spirit, water, and the blood, they are the witnesses for our salvation. The other three is, you know, like I said, the world consists of, the universe consists of time, matter, and space. Jesus had three disciples that were closer to him, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus stayed in the grave, three days in the grave. It's very, very important to understand that as a man, you connect with God through your spirit. And you are a spirit, that's why you'll continue to live even beyond man is eternal, it's eternal, even beyond your death. You continue to live. So man is different from animals. A man is not like a dog, a man is not like a cat, a man is not like a lion. Man is eternal. Jesus said that you know, after judgment, we will either go to eternal life or eternal punishment. Eternal punishment means you are separated from God forever, in eternity. They're separated from God in eternity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment. That's those who do not believe in God, those who have not accepted Christ. They are going to eternity or eternal punishment. So whether you are saved or not saved, you will live in eternity. But those are two different eternities. You either live with God or you live in eternity away from God. Where do you make the the choice? You make the choice while you are still alive. You cannot want to live with a God that you did not choose while you are still here. You make a choice while you are alive here that I want to live with God in eternity or you, you reject the gospel and say I do not want to live with God in eternity. So we have eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life. So you make a choice while you are alive. You cannot make a choice later. Not everybody who dies goes to the presence of God. I know when we're in the funeral, we try to comfort the, uh, you know, the mourning family and, and everybody there. So no, it's with God. They are in the presence of God. Not everybody is in the presence of God. That's not true. Some are in the presence of God. Some are not in the presence of God. It all depends on what choices do they make when they are still alive. If they made a choice not to be with God, God cannot force them to be with him at the end of their lives. You make a choice while you are still alive. So there is a part of us that will live on after we die. Remember the story of, of Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. You know, the rich man and Lazarus. And by the way, when Jesus said, down there, there is Moses and the prophets. Jesus was not referring to Moses. Uh, that you know who took the children of Israel out of Egypt. No, it was referring to the first five books of the law. Was, those books were written by Moses. So they were referred to as Moses. They were referred to as Moses. So when, 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 when the Bible speaks of Moses, in actual fact, it's referring to the first five books of the law. So there is the book of the law that they're supposed to follow, and they decided not to follow them. That's what the Bible was referring to. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, it continues to say, come now, let us reason together. Man has the ability to reason because you have a soul, you have a mind, you have a psych, you have a heart. Got your heart, that's what you refer to. And we'll talk about this in, in the next Bible study or so. But God made us in his own image. That's why he says he can reason with us. We cannot reason with an animal. Animals cannot reason. Animals can be trained to respond to specific stimuli. Remember, you know, there is uh, the fear of uh, stimulus response theory, the one that came with Ivan uh, Pavlo. Remember when he talked about training the dogs, you know, that experiment that he did when the dogs were hungry and he ring a bell and, and the dogs would quickly instead of salivate and they you know, all those. That it's because you can only train an animal. You can't reason with an animal. An animal does not reason. It can only be trained to respond to particular stimuli. Man was given a place of prominence in creation. Man is above the animals. You know, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. So man has to rule above animals. So man is not equal to animal. An animal does not have equal value like a man. Jesus did not come to die for the animals. He came to die for men. And over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. People who have accepted the theory of evolution, they always believe that men and animals are equal. My brother, my sister, you are not equal to an animal. It's there from the origin From the beginning We must not let such people We must not let such godless people influence us Don't believe that you have the same value As an animal We are made in the image of God God has been working to help Men throughout the Bible God has been focusing on Saving men right from the beginning Right from the beginning You have value from the beginning As we conclude Let's look at some few lessons that we have learned from Genesis. We said Genesis is the foundation of the entire Bible, the Old and the New Testament. Without the book of Genesis, there is no book of uh, you know, John. There is no uh, Psalms because how did everything originate? There's no book of Romans. So both the Old and the New Testament, they are all based on Genesis. If the book of Genesis was removed from the Bible, the rest of the Bible will have no meaning. Will have no meaning. How do you talk about salvation if nobody has sinned? Where do you find the sin of man? Genesis chapter three. Where do you talk about Jesus? Right from the beginning in the book of Genesis, the Bible says Jesus is coming to save the world, right from the book of Genesis. We will never understand the plan of salvation or the need for our salvation until we understand the book of Genesis. It provides a, you know, the foundation for everything else that we read in the Bible. The devil makes people doubt Genesis. Why? So that they may not be saved. Let's look at 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, whose minds the God of this age has, do, has done what? Has blinded them. He has blinded them. Why? He has blinded them who do not believe. The devil does not want people to believe. And he wants them to believe other things than God, other things than the book of Genesis, other things than the creation of God. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The devil does not want people to believe the book of Genesis. Why? Because he knows once they believe that, once they believe that there's a God, once they believe that God has created everything, That means God is all-powerful. He created everything. But once we believe in God, there is salvation. Our hope is in Christ. There is hope for our imperfect world. There is hope for for our people. And our hope is in Christ. Brothers and sisters, God's love for you and me is constant. God has loved us from the beginning. Even after man has sinned, God continues to love us. God is the creator of the universe is God Almighty, is Elohim, everything that has a beginning has an end, this world has a beginning, this world will end, and when the world, world ends, where do you go, where do you go, if you reject the salvation of Christ right now, if you reject Christ right now, where will you go, because we all know that we're not here forever. None of us will be in this world permanently, but we'll transition to the, next, uh, to the next life. Where do you go after that? The next life, it all depends on the choices you have made here. It's either you go and live with God in eternity or you live away from God in eternity. And that's what you call a hell. That's what you call a hell. It's there right from the book of Genesis. God has no beginning. He has no end. He is the alpha. And he's the Omega. He has been there from the beginning and he'll always be there. He's bigger than your problem. He's Elohim. He's almighty. He's bigger than your challenges. He's bigger than your situation. He's bigger than your pain. Put your trust in him. He's always faithful and he always loves you. He's able to heal you. He created your body. He knows every part of your body. He knows every organ of your body. He knows every cell of your body. He knows everything about you. He knows every part about you. Right from your psyche, from your mind. From your body, from your spirit. And Jesus says, I have come to heal the broken heart. He's the only one who can heal your broken heart. He sees you in your pain. Do not lose hope in Christ. Do not give up on him. God will always be there for you. And God will always love you. And God is always on your side. Let's pray.